Um, so if you showed up last week or the week before, anybody show up here on Sunday? There was a sign on the door that said, sorry, we're not meeting. So if you did um, and uh, there was no one here, I apologize. We tried our best to, to put it out there that there wouldn't be a gathering on the 23rd or this past Sunday. And we do that because we really value rest. Um, Christmas and this, the holiday season is such a busy time, and there, t- there really is a lot that goes into this. Like it, at any given point in time, there's probably like eight people serving kids. There's people doing security. There's people making coffee. There's people running sound. There's people playing music. There's someone who's preaching. So um, we value kind of having that time to, to take a break and to relax. And, and I had a fantastic time doing that. We encourage people not to be here and just to relax, and hence the Christmas stuff being up. But then Terry's saying it's the 12th day of Christmas. It's perfect. It's like we planned it, but really we just were lazy and tried to take a break. And, but in any case, it was, it was a good time of rest for me, for my family. My hope is it was for you as well. Um, but... Um, you know, I started thinking this week as, as, as I was preparing for the, for the talk today that if you had never read the Bible and you just picked up the Bible, you knew nothing about the Bible and you picked it up and you started reading, very quickly you would be impressed by the miraculous signs and wonders that are done. Like you would not get very far and you'd see that God created everything in six days and you'd either be like, no way, or you'd be like, wow. Um, you'd see uh, Moses... Um, parting the Red Sea and the Israelites walking through on dry ground, and you'd be like, wow, or there's no way. You'd continue on, you'd see stories of three men thrown in a fiery furnace, and they're unharmed. You'd see Daniel thrown in the lion's den, and he's okay. You'd read about Jonah and a whale, and you would be impressed upon you, I think, there's miraculous signs and wonders described in this, in this book. From there, you'd also read about old women getting pregnant. You'd read of um, Sarah getting pregnant when she's 90 years old. Um, no thank you. I can tell you that I'm 40 and I'm not ready to have a baby, but 90, definitely I don't think I'll be ready to have a baby. But you'd also read of barren women who tried to have babies and couldn't, and you'd read about a woman who's a virgin and she gets, finds out she's pregnant and she gives birth to Jesus. And then you'd see these miraculous signs and wonders culminate in the person of Jesus. The Bible teaches that Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And so this Jesus, this baby that was born, that we celebrated on Christmas, he comes to this earth saying that he's God in flesh. And then not only does he say that, but he, he walks on water, he calms the storm, he turns water into wine, he heals lepers, he heals the blind, he heals demon-possessed, he heals paralytics. Again, if you started at the beginning and read through, you would be overwhelmed by miraculous signs and wonders that are in the Bible. Jesus will heal people by their faith. He'll heal people because of other people's faith. He'll heal people because of persistent prayer. He'll heal people up close with a touch. He'll heal people from a distance. My favorite, he heals them with spit. Jesus spits in the ground, rubs the dirt, makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes, and he can see. Like the Bible is full of miraculous signs and wonders. There's even a point in time when a woman wants to be healed so badly that she reaches up and she touches the fringe of Jesus' garment and she's healed. Instantaneously, she's healed. And you would, again, if you read through, you'd be overwhelmed by the miraculous signs and wonders that are in the Bible. But then, one of the things I think that you'd be the most impressed with if you had never read and you're reading through, in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus has his 12 followers and he sends them out. 
And he says to them, I have given you authority. So Jesus does all these miraculous things, right? Well, he's God in flesh. So, okay, that's, that's pretty cool. That's, but then now he's sending out his 12 people and he says, I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. So Jesus is passing this authority on to his followers. Then in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending out 72 of his followers. And he says to them again, I want you to go out and I want you to heal the sick. And here's what happens. They go out and then they come back. And what they say is, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in in your name. So the miraculous in the Bible, it, it, it comes all the way through. It comes to Jesus. It culminates in Jesus. But then it continues on through Jesus' followers of people performing healings. And then Jesus says, just after he dies and he rises again, he says that I'm going to give you power and you will be my witnesses. And he dies and he gives them the Holy Spirit right in the beginning of the book of Acts. And we've been going through the book of Acts here week after week. And what you see is is crazy stuff. Again, the Bible is full of these miraculous signs and wonders. And you meet this guy by the name of Peter. We've already met him. But you see Peter and he, he heals the lame. There's a woman named Tabitha that she dies and he raises her back to life. And then you'd read about the fact that all these people who are sick, they would go stand out in the streets wanting that as Peter would pass by, that his shadow would would like go upon them. And if his shadow went upon them, they would be healed. I think you would be impressed by the signs and wonders. Um, And and as we continue through the book of Acts, then in Acts chapter 5, verse 12, it says that there were many signs and wonders that were regularly done by the hands of the disciples. It's not just Peter doing this. Like, it's all of these followers of Jesus. There's these miraculous signs and wonders. You'd be overwhelmed by the miraculous if you had never read the Bible or reading it through. Then there'll be a guy by the name of Paul, Saul, right? He persecutes the church, but then he becomes a Christian. He, he, he hears God speak to him. He sees this bright light. He goes blind, and a guy named Ananias prays over him, and his sight is, comes back, and he believes in, on Jesus. And then it says in Acts chapter 14, 3, that he begins um, doing signs and wonders as well. There's one point where he, um, not only is he reasoning from the Scripture, but he casts out demons, and again, if you had never read the Bible, you're reading through, you'd be like, there are a lot of crazy signs and wonders. There's miraculous things that are happening. It gets to a point in Acts chapter 19, which will be where our text is today, that Paul is healing to such an amazing degree that it, handkerchiefs or aprons that touched Paul were taken away, and those would heal people. Like, again, there's unbelievable, miraculous things that we see all throughout the Bible. In Acts chapter 20, the next chapter, there'll be a guy named Eutychus who will be sitting in a, in a, in a uh, windowsill, and Paul will be teaching late into the night, and Eutychus will get a little drowsy, fall backwards, fall out the window, and die. I think it speaks more to Paul's boringness as a speaker than it does anything else. But Paul goes out there and raises him back to life. I can tell you this, that if you fall asleep while I'm teaching and you fall to your chair and you die, I'm not going to pray to heal you. Punishment fits the crime, right? Um, But you see all of these crazy signs and wonders. Later on in the book of Acts, Paul will get bitten by a poisonous spider, or spider, poisonous snake, and he'll live. So again, the Bible is just full of all these amazing, miraculous signs and wonders that Jesus does, and he passes the authority on to his people But if you really think of your life, if I think of my life, 
I think that we feel a detachment from that. I think that we see all throughout the Bible, God is powerful, he's amazing, he does these miraculous things, he passes it on to his people. They do these miraculous signs and wonders and there's healings. And then we look at our everyday life. And I don't know if you're like me, but you could probably say, man, I remember praying in Jesus' name that I would pass that test. And I got a 33%. Maybe you're thinking, well, Brian, I'm not an idiot, so that didn't happen to me. But you probably had something similar to where you said, you know what, I prayed and I prayed that that person would stop using, but they didn't. Maybe you'd say, I prayed and I prayed that my marriage would work, but it didn't. Maybe you'd say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed that my parents wouldn't get divorced, but they did. Maybe you'd say, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed in Jesus' name that the abuse would stop, but it didn't. Maybe you prayed and you prayed that it wouldn't be cancer, and it was. Maybe you prayed and you prayed that God would heal them, and he didn't. What do we do when you have all of these things that you read in the Bible, but then in real life it almost doesn't seem to match? What do we do in that situation? You know, I think for me, it, it, during a period of my life, it really led to a lot of questions of, you know, why didn't God answer my prayer? Did I not have enough faith? Was he not listening? Does he not care? Is he able? Was my faith the problem? Can lead to doubt can lead to guilt. can also lead to a question of why did God, does God heal some and not heal others? When I was in high school, I had a friend named Kurt. Kurt's brother um, was a little bit older than him, went to Miami University, and he was messing around, having fun at Miami University, and there was an accident. He fell three stories, and he shattered his skull, broke his collarbone, and was in a coma, and they didn't think that he would make it. Kurt, my, my friend, rallied people. His family rallied people to pray. And people prayed. But guess what? Paul didn't show up and heal him while he was laying on the ground. But people rallied and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And after three months, he came out of the coma. And you were like, man, God is, he, he's, he's, maybe he is powerful. Maybe he is listening. Maybe he's doing something. And, and it was just this amazing thing that seeing Jay begin to walk and begin to talk and to begin to, to be better. But as Jay got better and better and better, his brother, my friend Kurt, started noticing a lump. He found out he had bone cancer. And again, now his brother doing much better. His brother rallied a group of people and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. God, heal him, heal him, heal him. And my senior year, he played basketball. He played at Alter. I played at Centerville. And he was wrestling through cancer, and he tried to play. And he got in for about a minute, and that was about all he could do. But by the end of the, my senior year, he went into remission. And again, we were like, man, God is awesome. He's powerful. He works. He listens to prayers. He heals people. This is so awesome. This is great. And then he went to UD University. He was so excited 
UD University, that doesn't make sense. Went to UD. <laughs> the University of Dayton University. He went to UD, and things were going well. In the end of his freshman year, the cancer had come back. In March, my sophomore year of college, Kurt died. I had just become a Christian. And I remember thinking, God, why did you heal Jay, but not Kurt? I think when we speak about, when we think about God doing miraculous things all through the Word, and when we don't always see it in our own life, what do we do with that? In the midst of that, we find a passage in Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20, which is what we'll read today, Paul's doing all these miraculous signs and wonders, right? There's handkerchiefs and aprons that are being taken away and healing people. And then we meet these seven sons of a high priest who seek to heal someone, and it doesn't work. Now, in this story, in this passage, this is not a prescription. This is not saying that the reason why it didn't work is this, and if we do this, it will work. It's not looking at it saying, well, when your prayers haven't worked, when my prayers haven't worked, this was the problem. That's not what it is. But I think that this text can really shine on some things about the subject of healing, of miraculous. And it can teach us some profound things about God. If you have your Bibles, you can flip open to Acts chapter 19, verse 11 through 20. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick. And their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was, was the evil spirit leaped on them and mastered them all, overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. God, um, I know that you know how I tremble in preaching this. I know that you know how hard this has been to put to paper. God, I pray that you would use your words, not mine, that the parts of this maybe that aren't what should be, that you would not allow to to be heard, but the parts that are of you, that it would penetrate our hearts, 
that would dig deep into us and that you would use this in a profound and powerful way. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, I'm not saying that when, when, when our prayers don't work that this is the problem, but in this particular situation, I see some problems of why the healings didn't work. These seven guys, they come in and they pray for this guy to be healed, and it doesn't work. And they, these guys are Jewish exorcists. They, they're constantly using different spells, different practices. They're trying to do anything that they can to, to cast a demon out, and so that's what they're doing. But here's the problem. Why do they want the person healed? You know, I think what it really is, is, is these seven guys, what they're wanting is they're wanting the healing more than they're wanting the healer. I think what happens is these seven guys, they're wanting to see a healing take place, but why? For their own notoriety, not for God. So what happens is, is they, they, they don't even know Jesus, right? It says that they, they proclaim the name of Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So they don't even know him. And I, and I think what happens in this is they want the healing more than the healer, and in that process, they miss out on the greater thing. I think what happens is they're, they're, they want to see this person healed, but they don't want the healer. They want, and I think it's easy to get there. I think in my own life, I can describe to you times where I think I really wanted God's blessing more than the one who blesses. I think there's been times in my life where I really wanted to see God's power more than I really wanted him. And I think that these guys, what they want is their way over God's way. What they want is their wants over God's will. They want to be God, right? They want to be able to do the healing rather than know the healer. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says this. He says, listen, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. And on that day, many will say, Lord, did not we prophesy in your name? Did not we cast out demons? But Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. You know, I think that there's this, this, this thing that can happen in us where we want to see healing more than we want to know the healer. But the reason why we were created is to know God, to be in relationship with him, to know the healer. But so often I think that we settle for less than that. Paul says that he considers everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. But in the midst of a, of a struggle, in the midst of someone that you want to pray for healing, in the midst of needing healing yourself, any of those things, I think what we need to get to a point to where we ask ourselves is, do I want healing more than I want the healer? You know, when I think of Sarah, my wife, I absolutely love her. I cannot imagine life without her. But if I found out she was sick, do I want her more than I want the healer? Do I want her healing more than I want Jesus? And if I do, I'm settling for far less than what God has, than what God can give. I can't say that I'm there, but I want to get there. But in this text, I think that these people, that they want the healing more than the healer. I think when we find ourselves in a situation where we're praying, do we want the healer more than the healing? 
Another reason why I think that it doesn't work, in addition to the fact that they were wanting the healer more than the healing and missed out in the process, is that power doesn't simply come from the name of Jesus. Now, you might say, well, wait a second, wait a second. I know the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And that is so true. But these people, they, they, they use the name of Jesus, but the guy's not healed. And I think what, it, the, what the word would tell us is that the power doesn't simply come from speaking the name of Jesus, but the power actually comes from Jesus. It's not in the word Jesus, but it's in the word, which is Jesus. You see, the thing is, there's no power in Paul. Paul's not healing these people. What's it say in Acts chapter 19, verse 11? It says, God was doing extraordinary things by the hand of Paul. The, the signs, the miracles, the, the healings, they come from God. There's no power in me. There's no power in you. There's a spot in James that we'll talk about a little bit that if you're sick, ask the elders to pray over you. There's no magical power in the elders. Any type of power to heal comes from God and God alone. But the thing is, is these Jewish exorcists, there's no power in them. There's no power. And so when they go and they pray over this evil spirit, what happens? The evil spirit has nothing to fear. So you have one, um, one evil spirit and seven praying for that to go away. And they're wrestled and run out of the house naked and wounded. But then when you think of Jesus, Jesus in a similar situation, although it's Jesus, just one person, not seven, and he comes up and he finds a man who has a lead, who's named Legion. He's got many demons. And Jesus comes to the guy, and when, they, when, he, when the guy sees Jesus, he falls to the ground and he begs. Seven couldn't conquer one, but one conquered many. Because there's power in Jesus. And as soon as this man who had this evil spirit saw Jesus, he fell to the ground. And, he sh and the, the Bible says in James chapter 2 that the de demons believe that there is a God and they shudder. There was something to fear. And it was the power of God. So power does not simply come from speaking the name of Jesus, but it comes from Jesus. And then, but it's imparted to his people. And that, like I said a minute ago, God was doing extraordinary things by the hand of Paul. What's, what's so amazing to me is that God could heal in so many different ways. He could just boom, he could, he could do it, but he so often uses other people. It's so, it's, 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 I don't understand why he does that, but he does. He uses other people to be a part of it. And even Ephesians 3.20, he says, says this, Now to him, to God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. For those of us who are in Christ, the Bible says that we received the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we were clothed with power, that the Holy Spirit has come upon us, that we've received power. And when that happens, there is a power that is within us. It's a power that is beyond all we could ask, all we could imagine, all we could think, all we could dream. There's this power within us when we are in Christ. And even Jesus said in John chapter 14, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Let's pause there. Jesus says that if we are in Christ, if we have a relationship with him, we will do the same works that he did. That's bananas. And then you continue reading on, it says, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. 
when Jesus died and he rose and when he ascended into heaven, he, he gave us power. But power doesn't simply come from speaking the name of Jesus. It comes from Jesus himself and it's imparted to his people. It's a power that is strong enough to make the rocks cry out. It's a power that's strong enough to keep us from falling. It's a power that even if you read 1 Corinthians 12, it's talking about how any of us who are in Christ, we receive gifts. God gives us gifts to use for the body, and it describes a gift of healing. We don't talk about a gift of healing. That's weird. It's like, what? what? But God gives this gift of healing to some people. Because the thing is, is power comes from God, but God imparts it to people. What I think happens in my life probably happens in yours as well, is that we struggle to trust that God is powerful enough to heal the sick. He's powerful enough to cure cancer, to beat addiction, or let alone to raise someone back to life. We struggle to believe that he's that powerful because in our everyday lives, we don't see God as powerful. We don't see him as powerful enough to help pay the bills, powerful enough to stop the gossip, We don't see God as powerful enough to keep our judgmental attitudes in check. We don't see him powerful enough to keep our lust in check. We don't see him powerful enough to control our anger. And so how can we trust, how can we believe that this God can do all of these miraculous, unbelievable things if we're not seeing him do just the things that should be so easy? But the Bible teaches that he is more powerful than we can ask or imagine. And he imparts that power to us. So when these guys, these seven guys, they're praying for this healing that doesn't happen, one, they wanted the healing more than the healer and they missed out on the greater thing. Two, power does not come from simply speaking the name of Jesus, but it comes from Jesus and it's imparted to his people. But there's a third reason why I think that this healing doesn't work because God doesn't always heal on earth. I would love for that not to be one of the points, but he doesn't. And there are people, there are even denominations that would kind of argue with that point, that God always heals. He's he's a healer. He'll always heal. But here's the deal. If he always healed, then why did Stephen die in Acts chapter 6, 7? Stephen, he's telling people all about Jesus and what happens. He gets stoned to death. God doesn't raise him up. You read about James. In one chapter, you see Peter's in prison, and he's spared from prison, and he continues to go on, and James is like sliced with a sword, I believe. He dies. God doesn't always heal on earth. John the Baptist. John the Baptist is used to prepare the way for Jesus, and then what happens? He's beheaded. God does not always heal on earth. And one of the reasons why I 100% know this is true because I have never met any of the disciples. All of them died. So here's the thing. God does not always heal on earth. And if he does, it's temporary. The oldest person, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, it was 122. They found out that the person who was 122 supposedly forged it and was pretending to be their, their daughter So the oldest person on record in the Guinness Book of World Records, 119 in like 55 days or something like that. 
So let's say that God gives me the power to heal, and I heal an infant baby that grows up to be 120 years old. It's pretty awesome, right? But it's temporary. Any healing that we will receive on earth is temporary, and God does not always heal on earth. Paul has a thorn in his flesh. He asks God to remove it multiple times, and God doesn't. God doesn't always heal on earth. I'm sure there are people in this room, I know of some, that they have a cross to bear. They've asked God to heal it. They've asked God to take it away. Maybe grew up asking for God to take it away. And he didn't. Because the thing is, is God doesn't always heal on earth. And the reason why, I think, is because he wants to show us that we have a greater need. All of us are terminal. There's not one person on record in the recent life that has lived older than 119 years old. So 119 minus your age now. We're all terminal. And so any healing that God does on this earth, it's going to be temporary. But I think what God does is he wants to show us that we have a greater need than a temporary healing. We have a greater need than being healed from the sickness that's going on inside of our bodies. He has, he, he has a greater need than just healing the emotional baggage that we have. We have a greater need than that. And I think one of the reasons why he doesn't heal on earth all the time is to show us that we have a greater need. Ever since the beginning of time at the fall, every person was terminal. I think that God wants to show that there is a greater need that we have. Isaiah chapter 53 says this, Surely he, speaking of Jesus who would come, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was crushed for, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his stripes, we are healed. We need a healing that goes far beyond something in this life, something that's temporary. We need a healing that will carry on further. We need to be healed from our problem of sin. We need to be healed from that thing in us that wants ourselves to be God. That, you know, I want God to do what I want him to do when I want him to do it, how I want him to do it. And that, that, that sin, that's this thing that's in me that I want to be God. And I, that's what I need to be cured from. That's what you need to be cured from. And yeah, we may pray, we may want a physical healing, but we, what we need is far greater than that. 1 Peter chapter 2, 24 says, He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that he might die to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. What we need is to be healed from sin. What we need is to be healed from us wanting to go our own way. What we need is to be made a son, to be made a daughter. The thing is, though, is that God does not always heal on earth and it's in order to show us that we have a greater need. We need to be re renewed, transformed. We need Him. 
And I continually go back to that thought, do I really want him or do I want the healing? Do I really want what he can offer me or do I want him? I was thinking about this. Um, if God always healed the way we wanted him to heal, the time that we wanted him to heal, he would fail to be God. Think about that. If God always healed the way that you wanted him to, the timing that you wanted him to, the way that you wanted him to, you're God, not him. And I know myself long enough to know that I would not make a good God. Neither would you. God does not always heal on earth. And it's to show us that we have a greater need. I was thinking about it this way too, that you know what? If God always healed, we would fail to see him as he truly is. If God healed, you would fail to see him as the great comforter. I can tell you in the midst of the hardest thing that I had ever gone through up until the point in time of my life that I had gone through, I saw God so much more clearly when he comforted me when I was going through that. If God always healed, we'd fail to see him as a great comforter. We'd, we'd fail to see him as the one who can give peace no matter what is going on. If God always healed, we wouldn't see him as a refuge in the strong tower. If God always healed, we wouldn't see him as the one who will walk with us through anything. If God always healed, we wouldn't really understand that he will never leave us or forsake us, that he will stick closer than a friend. If God always healed, we would never experience trials. That sounds fantastic, right? But the book of James tells us that it's trials that lead to test our faith, that produce steadfastness, that will complete us, that will cause us to be perfect, to lack nothing. If we were always healed and everyone was always healed, we would fail to see exactly who God is. We'd be left with a partial picture an incomplete view of him. If he did, we wouldn't yearn for an eternity to be with him in a place where there's no more tears or no more pain. The, the promise of an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled wouldn't be that great. He doesn't always heal on earth to show that there's a greater need. As we continue reading through our text, what you saw is this, is that God had a plan. This healing didn't work, but what happened at the end? What happened at the end was this, is that God received glory. You can think back throughout the Bible, and there was a guy who was born blind, and, and the Pharisees asked Jesus, was this man born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus said, neither. He was born this way that the Son of Man may be glorified. That the works of God might be displayed in his life. When Lazarus gets sick and is about to die and will die, Jesus says that his sickness is that the Son of Man may be glorified. In this passage, the, the healing doesn't work, but the result is a group of people repent. A group of people see that, wow, the power is not some places, the power is other places. The power is in Jesus. And repentance happens. It says that the, the word of the Lord increases mightily. It says that all of the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, began to fear the Lord. I don't understand it, but God has a plan. 
and he's working out that plan. That plan is to show how mighty and powerful and wonderful he is. And sometimes he doesn't heal on earth. But I think it's to show that there is a greater need. In this text, like I said, there's three things that jumped out to me. is that, that the healing didn't work because they wanted the healing more than the healer and they missed out on the greater thing. I see that the power doesn't come from the name of Jesus, from speaking the name of Jesus, but comes from Jesus and it's imparted to his people. And it doesn't, God doesn't always heal on earth in, in order to show them that they have a greater need. But to kind of wrap this up, what can we learn from all of this? It's easy to, to think that through, but when those questions, those uncertainties of, is God listening? Does God care? Can God heal? Why does he heal some and not others? Will he heal? When we, when we wrestle, when we struggle with all of that, what can we learn? What can this text help us with? I think it's this, don't miss Jesus. If, if you get that healing, that temporary healing, what, what good is it? It only lasts for so long. But the gift of Jesus carries on for an eternity. What we can learn from this is that we don't want to miss Jesus. I think what we can also learn is if he really is that powerful, then we can trust that he could. I'll be honest, there are times where I don't trust that he could. But if I really look at who Jesus is, what he does, I can trust that he could. Pray that he would. I don't know if you're like me, but there are times where I don't actually pray that he would because I don't trust that he could. But I think that we can take from this is that we don't want to miss Jesus. We can trust that he could, pray that he would, and know that one day he will. He may not heal on earth. He may not even heal now. He might do it later. Like even the guy who's born blind, the guy who's born blind suffers for years and years and years and years. And at some point, he's healed temporarily on earth. You can read about a man who's an invalid for years and years and years. And at some point, Jesus heals him. So God may heal now. He may heal later. One day, he will heal fully if we are in Christ. We will, in a breath, in a twinkling of an eye, change from being here to being in his presence. And that is when we will be fully healed. If we know him, if we haven't missed him. In the Bible, God is described as Jehovah Rapha. It means God is my healer. When Sarah and I were first getting married, we were talking about, you know, how, how starry-eyed and unloved we were. And people would say, you'll love each other more when years from now. And we thought, there's, there's no way. Man, it's so true. But Sarah and I were talking, I remember just talking about like that fear of, well, what if something happens to you? What if something happens to me? And I remember telling her, I believe that God is Jehovah Rapha. That either if you get sick, if I get sick, he, will, he, he may heal us. Or he might wait a couple years and then he might heal us. 
But either way, if the worst of the worst on this earth happens, we will be fully healed when we are with him. And he is also able to heal the brokenhearted. I believe that God is Jehovah Rapha. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what the loved ones are going through. I don't know the the struggles. I don't want to overlook that there are people in this room that have cerebral palsy, have effects from a stroke. I don't want to overlook the fact that there are people in this room that are battling cancer. I don't want to overlook the fact that there are people in this room that are struggling with depression. There's probably people in this room that are struggling with some suicidal thoughts. I don't want to overlook the fact that there's probably people in this room that were physically, emotionally, or sexually abused and has left unbelievable scars that I can't imagine. I don't want to overlook any of that. This message is not to just say, you know what, just trust God. But I, but I think my hope and my prayer is that we wouldn't want to be healed more than we would want him. My hope and my prayer is that we would realize that God is unbelievably powerful and that he could. And my hope is, is that we would be a people who would pray that he would, but we also would, would be able to be um, humbled, would be able to come under, would be able to accept the fact that it may not happen now. But that does not mean that he's not powerful. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he's not listening. It means that he wants to expose to us that we have a greater need. I want us to miss Jesus. I, don't want, to, I want us to know that he could, to pray that he would, and to trust that one day he will. But again, in not wanting to overlook James chapter 5, verse 14 says this, Is anyone among you sick? I think that sick can mean a variety of things. Emotional, physical, spiritual. It says, If anyone of you is sick, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Again, there's nothing magical about elders. There's nothing magical about oil. Churches don't have some stockpile where they can buy secret, special, magical oil. But if any one of you is sick, let him call the elders of the church, let him pray over you, anointing him with oil in the name of Jesus. And it says this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Does that mean now? Does that mean later? Does that mean fully when we get to, to him? Does that mean he'll heal the broken heart? I don't know. But I think that I want us to be a church that trusts that he could. I want us to be a church that prays that he would. And I think that there would probably be times where we would see God heal in a way that we would, like, we would be blown away by. And there's times where we won't see the healing because it won't take place on this side of heaven. But if you are here today and you would say that you are sick, if you feel comfortable enough to raise your hand,
There are people in this room that we don't, while we may not officially call them elders, they are overseers. We call it the leadership team, but they are elders. If you are one of those people and you saw someone raise their hand, I'd ask you to maybe just put your hand on their shoulder. And for, again, there's nothing magical about the elder. So anyone that saw someone raise their hand, if you wouldn't mind to go over and put your hand on them as well. And I want us to pray. I want us to pray that he might heal now. I want us to pray that he might heal later. But I want us to pray that he definitely would heal fully at some point. And for those that love that person, I want to pray that God would be the healer of broken hearts. Let's pray. Father God, I so often doubt that you can. But God, when I read your word, I see how powerful you are, how powerful you have been. You say that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that you are just as powerful now as you were then. And so, God, I pray for each of those people, and maybe even ones in this room that didn't raise their hand, that they really are sick. There's something going on. It may be emotional. It may be physical. It may even be spiritual. God, I pray that you would reach your hand down upon them, even right in this moment, and that you would heal them powerfully, wonderfully, amazingly, fully, that you would heal them. God, that not that anyone anywhere gets glory, but that you get glory, that people see that this God that, that these Christians bow down to and worship, he is powerful. Pray that you would heal. And God, I, I pray that they know you in a deep and intimate way and that as they're wrestling through the struggle of the sickness that they have, I pray that you would transform them from one degree of glory to the next, that you would renew their minds, that you would help them to see the greater need that they have and that you would continue to nurse them back to health. God, I pray that they will one day be fully healed, standing face to face with their maker. And God, for those of us who have lost ones that we loved, all of us in this room will lose someone that we do love. God, I pray that you show yourself to be Jehovah Rapha, a God who can heal our broken hearts. So God, help us to see you as you truly are. Help us to not become content in this view of you, but help us to see that you are the great comforter, that you are the peace giver, that you are the giver of hope. That you are a strong tower, that you are a refuge in our time of need. God, help us to see that you are a God who heals the brokenhearted. God, I know I, I say it often, but in your word, a man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And God, I pray for myself, I pray for all of us in this room, that we would know you as healer, that we would trust you, we would believe in you as healer, 
But Lord, help our unbelief. In your awesome and precious name.